welcome to 13, the bi-weekly podcast that asks questions of Colgate University community members. Today, I'm joined by the global chairman and CEO of EY, Colgate alumnus, Carmine DeCibio. DeCibio leads one of the largest professional service organizations in the world, with more than 300,000 employees in 150 countries. Prior to being elected to his current post, he served as EY Global Managing Partner, Client Service, leading the execution of the global strategy in four geographical areas and four service lines. DeCibio has spearheaded innovation efforts at UI, including leading a $1 billion investment in new technology solutions over a two-year time frame announced in August of 2018. He helped to create the Global Innovation Team to redefine how EY uses technology to both transform existing services and create new solutions. As a leader of the company's acquisitions and alliances strategy, he helped expand EY offerings in a wide range of new and emerging fields. Since joining EY in 1985, DeCibio has served as an advisory and assurance partner for many of the company's largest financial services accounts. He held several leadership positions, including chair of the Global Financial Services Markets Executive and regional managing partner for the Americas Financial Services Organization, where he started EY Risk Management and Regulatory Services. DeCibio earned his bachelor's in chemistry from Colgate and an MBA from New York University's Stern School of Business. He's also a practicing CPA and serves as a member of the Colgate Board of Trustees. Mr. DeCibio, welcome to 13. Thanks for having me, Daniel. It's great to be here. Uh, Well, we are very excited to have you on the show, and uh, I also understand you are a Colgate parent uh, of two Colgate recent grads, correct? That is correct. That is correct. My son, Tommy, and my daughter, Anna. Uh, so they uh, they graduated in the last couple of years from Colgate, and they uh, both work in New York today. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to start from the top, and for folks who might not know uh, what EY does, but give us the kind of broad overview. What is EY? So EY is a uh, you know global professional services firm. Uh, we do everything from audit, consulting, tax, transactions. Um, We have, I think you said in my bio, we actually have, now we're up to 365,000 people from around the world. We're in 150 countries. And, uh, you know, our clients are all the major corporations and certainly individuals around the world. And so we, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we advise clients, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, on the consulting side, or on the audit side, or on the tax side, and it's um, we're a very client-centric organization, and we're very much a people organization, uh, and an or- organization with a purpose, and that's building a better working world. Um, our strategy, uh, we call it Next Wave, uh, which I can get into a lot of detail, but uh, but it served us well. It served us well the last four years. We just closed our year. Uh, our year end, uh, Daniel ends uh, at the end of June, uh, similar to Colgate's, but uh, we uh, we just grew 16.5% uh, this past f- fiscal year. Very proud of that. Wow. Uh, and the reason why growth is important to us is because with growth comes opportunity and opportunity for our people. So um, a little bit about who we are in a nutshell. Wow. 
And you've been with the company since 1985. Can you talk a little bit about how it's changed and evolved through the years? And obviously the shift too, uh, used to be commonly known as Ernst & Young. So uh, you talk yeah, a little bit so, about that. So like everything else, the name, uh, yes, the form, and the formal name and the legal name in many countries is still Ernst & Young, but obviously that's a lot to say. So um, so we shortened it to EY, uh, which, which was logical. And, and most... Most companies have done something like that. Um, but yeah, I've been at EY since 1985, Daniel, and it's kind of an interesting story. Um, when I graduated from Colgate, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to get a, uh, a job um, at Arthur Young, which was a predecessor to oh. Ernst & Young slash EY. Uh, Arthur Young merged with Ernst & Winnie in 1989, four years later, and that you know, became EY. But I was able to get a job offer with Arthur Young. Um, and back then, there was an interesting program at, uh, at NYU, at uh, New York University, at the Stern School, where they were trying to hire, um, well, at the time, the big eight firms, now commonly known as the big four, but the big eight, um, they, you know, they typically hired a lot of accounting uh, majors, uh, from schools that were more technical type schools, and they wanted to really broaden their hiring to uh, kids who've gone to liberal arts schools. And so, um, so they created this program with NYU to hire kids from mostly the Ivy League, as well as schools like Williams and Colgate um, and, and a few others. And so every year then, the big eight, and there was a bank or two in there as well would recruit somewhere between you know seven and ten kids into this program with NYU. Uh, so the program started basically in June. Of, I graduated in May of 1985. In the middle of June, the program started, and the program started with us going to school at NYU to what was then known to eventually get a master's uh, in accounting and or an MBA in finance. And, and most kids moved to an MBA in finance. But what we did is we went to school the first summer. Then when the fall came, we'd work during the day and go to school at night. We did that in the spring as well. And the following summer, we went back to school full time. And then we repeated that the next year. Um, and that was a great program. It enabled all of us to, uh, to get an MBA in finance and an MS in accounting, so we could all become CPAs as well. And, um, and it was really kind of neat, Daniel, because we had, um, you know, let's eight kids from, from Arthur Young, and then there were like eight kids from Coopers and eight kids from PW and so forth, but we all went to school together. <laughs> so this created about, I'll say about 100 kids in New York uh, working and going to school, and we all became really good friends. It became almost like a mini school after Colgate. Um, huh. And there were a lot of Colgate grads uh, in that program. There were, there were probably, I don't know, 10, 10 to 15 kids from Colgate uh, out of the 100, or 10 kids maybe, out of sure. the 100. So it made it, uh, it, made it really fun uh, in the mid-'80s to be in New York City, uh, working, going to school, obviously getting paid. Um, and so we had a great time. And that's kind of how I got into EY uh, at the time. 
Wow. What were you doing when you started? At EY? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I was a staff person, uh, and I started, believe it or not, in audit, even though I didn't even know what audit was. Um, so we were kind of going, you know, learning about that in school uh, and also learning on the job. You know, the way EY works is you work in teams, and it's an apprenticeship-type type model where you learn from the people you work for, uh, and that's basically what I did. But I started in audit at EY. You made mention of the big four consultancy firms or consulting firms. So being like Deloitte, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and KPMG and EUI, I guess, what separates EUI from that peer group? That's an excellent question. So uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind all the time is our culture uh, and our values. Um, we have a very, very collaborative teaming type culture. And that, that's, you know, sometimes hard to describe, but the way we work, we always work in teams and we even work in teams with our clients. Um, and that's something a little bit different. While these firms all sound the same from the outside and maybe even look the same from the outside, when you're actually in these firms working, the culture, I would say, is the big differentiator. Mm. So some of, some of our competitors, their cultures are a little different. Some are more... Um, you know, you give me the work, I give you a solution or a product back as opposed to working together. And I don't want to get into, you know, what I think the cultures are of our competitors because, as I said, you only know it when you're in it. But but that's one of the bigger differentiators. Um, and then, you know, I can, you know, I could say we have better people, we have all that. But, but the culture is really the big differentiator. And I read in the news today that EY, EY might split into two firms, right? So one focused on auditing and the other on advisory. Tell me, what does that mean? How does that look? And um, I guess, has this happened before? Yeah. So um, what's happened before is the big four firms have sold their consulting divisions. That happened 20 years ago. Hmm. But, but that was more really something that was basically – forced by the regulators um, because they thought there was too much conflict. Um, that is not the case today. Um, today, yes, we at EY are looking at how do we maximize both firms going forward and how we enable both firms to grow. So we did actually announce yesterday um, that, um, that we will be uh, separating EY into two firms, two multidisciplinary firms, one that will be about $20 billion in revenue and one that will be $25 billion in revenue. One that will be more focused on our, on our audit practice um, and audit will be about 70% of that firm. The other 30% will be services that we provide that, that kind of go along with audit. And then the other firm will be 25 billion and that will be a consulting firm that will have everything from strategy consulting transaction type consulting, um, tax and tax advisory. Uh, it will have tech consulting, business consulting, management consulting, um, and then managed services as well. Uh, both firms uh, you know, will operate separately. Uh, both firms will have different leadership teams. Both firms will be structured very differently. The audit firm, because of regulations, will remain a partnership the consulting firm will actually become a public company in due time. Interesting. 
In 2018, uh, you led a $1 billion investment in new technology solutions uh, over a two-year time frame. What did you buy with the billion dollars? What kind of new technology was uh, was put in place? Well, so so what we've done is we've invested a lot in technology uh, like artificial intelligence. You know, so we you know we have platforms that we use. So for our audit practice or our tax practice, we build technologies that help us uh, in terms of executing in those practices. And what we've been able to do is invest a lot more around artificial intelligence on those platforms. Um, so you know, this is all around getting some of the mundane work that our people do out of the system and having technology do it. And the more technology can learn um, and can act almost as, as humans, uh, the, better, the better it is for us, the more efficient it is and so forth. So artificial intelligence is a big piece and it continues to be a big piece. Blockchain, uh, we're one of the leaders, leading companies in terms of blockchain, the technology, not Bitcoin or anything like that, but blockchain, the technology, because blockchain is, is actually being utilized by a lot of companies um, that, that really want security in terms of any kind of process flow. Um, and so we've invested a lot in blockchain. We're investing more uh, in terms of some of that money into quantum computing, um, which which in particular on the cybersecurity side, um, it's really important that we invest more in quantum. Um, the, the, for, for those of you who don't know uh, what's going on out there, the, uh, when quantum computing comes into being, the, the protection we have today uh, to protect our, our data and so forth will become obsolete. Mm. So we have to, you know, most of what, uh, what's encrypted today well, will become obsolete. So therefore, um, we have to develop new solutions. So we, we've been investing in startups to, and partnering with startups to make sure that those solutions are in place. So those are just a few examples, Daniel. I can go on for a long time. Sure, yeah. Um, but it's, um, you know, they're big investments, but they're necessary for us. That's interesting. So is the idea that the quantum computers could easily break the encryption on, on things? Yeah. Wow. Yes, that, that will definitely be the case. Uh, wow. So we need to have something to protect against quantum. Oh, that's a whole episode. I'm going to have to get a computer science professor in yeah. here. And talk yes, about that. that would be good. <laughs> I like that. Um, I was also reading about the EY Ripples program, and um, there's some language that I want to read real quickly um, that describes it. It says, as a proud participant in the United Nations Global Compact, the global EY organization is committed to advancing the sustainable development goals and to aligning strategy and operations with the UNGC-10 principles. Through the EY Ripples program, EY people are devoting their time to SDG-focused projects, bringing together the combined skills, knowledge, and experience of the global EY network in pursuit of one shared vision to positively impact one billion lives by 2030. How are you folks working to impact a billion lives? So, so we, our program is called Ripples. We obviously have a technology platform that helps all our people get involved in different efforts around the world, around the sustainable um, initiatives, sustainable markets initiatives. And, um, and look, we are very, very focused on, on the planet. Uh, we are very focused on sustainability. And it's really, it's really not only what our people are doing in terms of ripples, in terms of helping people and helping companies understand that, but it's also part of our business, Daniel. Uh, we, 
we have a whole practice uh, in, in uh, any around sustainability, helping companies become more sustainable. Uh, and that's everything from their supply chains to the reporting on what they're doing. So for us, this is all a big business on the business side. But what you're what you just mentioned there is really our people getting involved just to help um, and to help whether it's the local communities around sustainability uh, or whether it's uh, you know the, the local charities around sustainability. And that's something that our people are really, really passionate about. Um, and it's interesting. When I rolled out our strategy, which we call Next Wave, about five years ago, um, our people in Europe were very focused on sustainability. So they kept saying to me, you're not talking enough about sustainability. You're not embedding it in everything we do. But the U.S. is behind. And I did a town hall in New York with about 2,000 people when I started rolling out our strategy. And I didn't talk a lot about sustainability. And you know, you can imagine, I asked if anyone had any questions, and one individual in the middle of the room, uh, a young person, you know, just two or three years out of college, raised their hand and said, they said, Carmi, listen, the strategy looks great, but we're not doing enough on sustainability. And I knew that once that got to the U.S., that that would be, you know, that would open up. And, and so we actually went back and, and, and embedded it much more into our strategy as well. So today, um, you know, there's the ripples part, there's the part around doing good, but it's also a big part of our business. Nice. It's nice when those two things go together. Absolutely. Absolutely. It really is. Uh, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about EY's uh, support for diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, too. Do you have any special programs or anything that the company is doing to, uh, I guess, improve uh, equity and diversity in the workplace? Yeah. So so DEI for us is, is paramount, and it's, it's in every meeting. Uh, in fact, our DEI leader globally reports directly to me. I co-chair our committee around DEI. And, and for us, um, we've developed tools. Well, first of all, we have a culture around DEI, but we also have developed tools around how to measure how you're doing. Uh, we actually, at EY, I measure all our leaders. Uh, one of the measurements, on uh, 10 measurements, one of them that goes into how they perform, including their compensation, is around DEI. And we have several different metrics that we track for each business unit on how they're doing. And this is everything from, you know, hiring off campus to, to leadership and, and how diverse is their leadership teams, um, so many, many different metrics. So, so we are very focused on this and we measure it and we've gotten, you know, we've had tremendous success, but we also have to do more. So today, when we promote new partners every year, um, about a third of those new partners are women. And uh, that's up from what used to be 10, 12% not too long ago. Wow. So we made a lot of headway, but I, you know, the question becomes is why isn't it 50%? Um, and so we continue every year to make more headway on that. So there's more to go. Um, and there's, there's certainly more to go on the diverse side when it comes to ethnically diverse or or, or, um, or anything like that in terms of our leaders. Uh, and this is something that we're very focused on as well. So for us, it's part of our culture. Um, it's part of what we do. But we also advise clients on what to do, hmm. which is important. 
How has EY uh, partnered with Colgate in the past? Have there been any partnerships or do you uh, look to Colgate or other liberal arts schools for new em- employees or I guess what kind of pathways are there? Or if someone is interested in working for EY and they're currently a student, what would they do? Yeah, so, you know, so that's, that's an excellent question. So over the last several years, EY has been the biggest employer at Colgate. Uh, so we recruit interns uh, into EY from Colgate. Then we also recruit full, you know, full-time hires. And uh, since Colgate's a liberal arts school, obviously we don't recruit accounting majors and that sort. Um, but we do recruit. Um, really, we're not, you know, any major, um, but but kids who are interested in consulting and going into consulting. And we have a lot of different types of consulting, um, and so. The, uh, you know, we have a team that comes up and interviews people and obviously during COVID we're doing it virtually, but um, I am very proud at how much recruiting we've done out of Colgate. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're a student at Colgate, I would say, um, please be interested in why. I'm sure the Career Center is telling you that. Um, do your homework. Um, make sure that you understand what consulting is, and what type of consulting you want to get into. Because sometimes we have kids interviewing and they don't even know what they're getting into. So, uh, so my advice is do a little research beforehand. Talk to kids that are already at EY, you know, that graduated before you. That's always helpful. That was helpful for me as well. Um, and then we would love to have Colgate kids. Colgate kids have done really well here um, over the years and certainly over the last few years. And so we're very proud of that. Um, and so that's one piece of the partnership. We also uh, at EY uh, are, we have a group uh, called EY Parthenon that does a lot of consulting for higher ed. Um, And so that group has been doing some consulting with Colgate um, as well. Uh, Frankly, with some of the leaders at Colgate uh, and and even with the board of trustees at Colgate. So so, uh, that's another um, partnership in terms of how EY and Colgate are working together. And we're also thinking of ideas of things we can do together going forward. Very cool. Uh, um, so <clears throat> you were a chemistry major at Colgate, right? So tell me, yes, do, I was. are there any um, professors or courses that like had a major influence in you as you were, you know, heading out into the workplace or that you even still kind of recall back to? Yeah. So, so um I was a chemistry manager and I get a lot of questions on, oh my God. In fact, you know, I have people guessing what my major is and no one ever guesses chemistry. So, so, uh, but it's the truth. Yeah. So I, I went to Colgate um, thinking, you know, that I was pre-med and thinking that I wanted to be a doctor. Um, And so therefore uh, my schedule was very focused on sciences and math and so forth, uh, which was fine. Um, but at the time that I went, Daniel, we had what we call J term, the January term. And so for those of you who don't know what that was, is during the month of January, you actually got to do something that you had to have a January credit. And it could be anything from an internship to, to research and writing a paper and so forth. Well, my junior year, I did an internship at New York Hospital, um, which was affiliated, believe it or not, with Cornell Med School. So my internship was I would do rounds with doctors at 6 a.m. in the morning, and then I would observe surgery 
basically for the rest of the day for about six, seven hours. Oh, wow. Um, and it was really cool. Um, it was really cool. I got to observe all kinds of surgery. I have all kinds of stories, you know, in terms of what I was able to see. Um, but, you know, in going through that internship, I realized I did not want to become a doctor. Um, and the reasoning was that um, I just, every person I interacted with just didn't seem happy. So, so I, uh, so I left that internship and, you know, and we got into junior spring and I thought to myself, wow, what am I going to do now? Um, now I was always taking some econ classes as well. So, uh, you know, I asked for counsel and so forth and I was so far down the track in chemistry as well. And so, you know, I'm like, well, I'd like to get into business. Um, and then some, someone said to me, well, you know, you can get into business. I don't think chemistry will be a deterrent to that. You know, it's not some easy major or something. I mean, uh, I don't think people will think uh, you're not smart if you're a chemistry major. So I continued with my major. Um, and um, my senior year, I did um, uh, a project uh, in a lab with Dr. Cochran, John Cochran. Um, and it was myself and one of my fraternity brothers, Bob Giacobbe. So we worked on uh, something called tin halides. Okay. Um, and, uh, and actually, there was a, a paper published uh, that um, Dr. Cochran published, and my name was a little footnote in that paper for helping, <laughs> and Bob's was as well. And so, um, but that was a lot of time spent in lab at the time. So now looking back, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I spent all that time in lab for no reason. But actually, you know, it was good discipline. I learned a lot, and I did develop a relationship with, with Dr. Cochran. Um, which was good. Um, and so, so that's my story on how I became a chemistry major at Colby. Oh, that's neat. Um, I was wondering, uh, you are also the member of a bunch of boards. So not just on the Colgate Board of Trustees, but I understand you're a member of a board of, I'm going to, I'm going to read a few things here. Focusing capital on the long term that encourages a long-term focus in business, which can drive inclusive growth. Uh, understand you are active in the World Economic Forum, serving as a member of its International Business Council. Um, and uh, you also serve on the boards of the Foundation for Empowering Citizens with Autism and Family Promise. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your other boards and what you do there. Well, they're all, they're all a little bit different. Um, the Foundation for Educating Citizens with Autism, uh, the short name is FICA, um, I got involved in that because one of my best friends growing up, uh, his first child uh, was autistic. Uh, we didn't realize she was autistic until a few months in. And um, he lived in Westchester with his wife at the time. And they were trying to figure out schooling uh, for, for their girl. Her name's Christine. And, um, you know, they, they basically came to my wife and I and said, trying to figure out schooling. We, we were, you know, we were partnering up with a group of parents. And, um, you know, we want to create a school for autistic children uh, in Mount Kisco, New York. But that's going to take some money. Once we raise some money, we'll, um, we'll be able to get state aid. So my wife, Amy, and I at the time, she might have been my girlfriend or fiance, actually, when we first started this, but um, 
we helped this group of parents raise money uh, by actually throwing parties in New York. Um, so my wife worked at Smith Barney, I worked at EY, so there were a lot of young people, uh, and, and then others were involved as well. So we would throw these huge parties in New York, um, and basically, you know, the bar and the location would charge us 40 bucks, and we would charge the, the kids 70 bucks. Uh, it was a wine, all you can drink and have fun type parties. And we started throwing these every month or so and until we raised enough money for this group of parents to actually start the school and get state aid and start the school. Wow. That school exists today. It's called the Devereaux Learning School. Uh, and we're very proud of it. And that's the organization that my wife and I have been on the board for a long time now. Over 30 years, actually. Wow. Um, and so we're very proud of that. I'm very proud that we were able to help autistic kids and Christine in particular. So uh, so that's one of them. The other ones are more uh, business oriented. I'm actually one that you didn't mention. This is, I guess I don't have it in my bios. Uh, I'm also part of this organization called Sustainable Markets Initiative, uh, which is um, co-chaired by uh, Prince Charles and Brian Moynihan the CEO of uh, Bank of America, and uh, they have uh, over 100 CEOs involved in this, and I'm on the board of that, all really trying to, to make sure that companies are focused on sustainability. And it's enabled me, Daniel, to spend some time with Prince Charles, um, both at his house, and uh, we're doing this podcast uh, on the, you know, the day after uh, the Queen passed away and his mom. Um, so I... Thought I'd mention that. Um, wow. So I'm hoping to someday get invited to his coronation, which won't happen for several months. Wow, that is really cool. What's it like going to Buckingham Palace? It's pretty cool. I, I had dinner in Buckingham Palace uh, with a group of CEOs. Um, it's pretty cool. It's what you would think. It's uh, lots of red carpets, lots of paintings, um, and, and pretty cool. Did they give you all the rules beforehand? Yeah, no, I, I had people, uh, our own people, kind of you know, giving me lessons on what to do and not to do. <laughs> Royal right. etiquette lessons. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Nice. Well, we've reached the end of the uh, questions here. We're at question 13. Uh, and I always ask something a little bit different, but I'm, I'm very curious as to what you see as uh, or what you might be most excited about for Colgate in the future as a member of the board of trustees. Are there any, is there anything on the horizon that you're most excited about or anything that you are, are really looking forward to coming to fruition here on campus? Yeah, I am. I am really excited about the entire third century plan in terms of Colgate. Uh, first of all, I'm excited about Brian Casey, and Brian Casey is our president. I, I think he's been absolutely outstanding in many different ways, and I'm so excited that he committed to being with us through 2030, yes. uh, which which is excellent. Um, and then I'm excited about the plan. I'm excited about everything we're doing in the middle campus. I'm excited in terms of everything we're going to do with the arena, and then everything we're going to do on Broad Street. And I know there's a lot of frustration around Broad Street, and it's going to take a while. Um, but but the plans are really good plans in terms of how to build all of Broad Street back up and, and, and how to make sure that we're solving the social aspects of Broad Street, uh, you know, as we go forward. So so I am I am really bullish on, on the third century plan and everything we're trying to do there. Um, obviously, I've been part of it, but... Um, 
but I think uh, I think Colgate has a lot of momentum. Um, if you look at the applications and the growth in applications and everything that uh, we've been able to do, it's been absolutely awesome, uh, Daniel. And I will tell you, I'm really proud. My my wife and I, my wife Amy was class of '86. I was class of '85. And then my son Tommy and my daughter Anna are recent graduates. Now we we have four kids. Unfortunately, the third and the fourth, we could not get to Colgate. So <laughs> one of them snuck out to Notre Dame and the other one snuck out to Wake Forest. But, uh, but we're a Colgate family, even if the other two kind of abandoned uh, us a little bit. Um, you couldn't be prouder of Colgate. And that was 13. Carmine, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Daniel. It's been a lot of fun. Very good. Uh, Tell your friends and family about the podcast. If you have any questions, email 13 at colgate.edu. That's 13, the number. And until next time, keep asking questions. 13 is a production of the Colgate University Office of Communications and Events. Episodes are recorded on campus in Lathrop Hall. Executive producer, Colgate Vice President for Communications and Events, L. Hazel Jack. Producer and host, Dan DeVries. And audio production by Brian Ness. Learn about all the happenings at Colgate at colgate.edu, colgatemagazine.com, and colgateresearchmagazine.com.